Welcome to the Above and Beyond Recovery Podcast, where we explore recovery and its relationship to faith, family, work, community, and health. All right, well, we are back today with Greg McFarland. He's the director of our Philadelphia Adult Teen Challenge Center, and he's here today talking to us about the therapeutic journey and what it's like for someone to go through the treatment process. So welcome back, Greg. Thank you. So one of the other advantages we see to residential treatment, and we also see this in outpatient therapy or group therapy, is that group dynamic. Can you talk a little bit more about the advantages to being in treatment with other people? Yeah, so the advantages are really, there's no way to quantify them because the impact that one person can have on another person's life is is insurmountable. Um, and what I've seen, I've, I've led many, many groups in throughout my career, and what I've gotten to see is that when a group of people are meeting together and they're just open and encouraging to each other towards that therapeutic process, they can begin to feel that sense of trust, that sense of openness, and then they get to become vulnerable. And that place of vulnerability is where healing many times happens for the deeper wounds that somebody's struggling with. And they're, when they go through that process of healing, they're also accepting love that they may have rejected before. They're also accepting encouragement, which they may have rejected before. And so you get to see this transformation for an individual in the way that they relate to other people. In addiction, we can become very defensive, even to people who love us. Mm -hmm. And being around other people in treatment who are encouraging us and supporting us as we're going through this healing away from that other person, being with them and getting that support with them as well helps kind of the whole person heal because they get to heal socially as well. And that happens in the groups. That can happen for people in the community when they're not in groups or in counseling and they're just in the community, we'll see people praying with each other, we'll see people encouraging each other, we'll see them holding their own separate Bible mm -hmm. studies or their own separate recovery groups mm -hmm. in the community. And when we see that, we get to see just how much impact those two people have when they kind of come together and are connected mm -hmm. with that common goal of recovery or of spiritual growth and development you know, or just dealing with their, their personal mm -hmm. struggles. And, and so having someone there with you in a group setting or in an individual setting is, is oftentimes a very powerful part of the therapeutic process. Yeah. And it's why we do groups every day. I mean, they're in groups literally every day of mm -hmm. the week for an extended period of time. I was talking to one of our counselors one time about this phenomenon that occurs sometimes in groups where different group members take on different roles. Can you explain that to me a little bit? How does that work? Um, well, what's interesting is is we kind of naturally trend towards a goal mm -hmm. or a, a, a role in relationships. So what happens in groups is that you might have a 20-year-old kid and a 40-year-old man in a group together. And this kid um, might start getting rowdy or rambunctious or might start trailing off. And this other individual might encourage him as a father would encourage a child and they don't do it on purpose mm -hmm. some of them don't even notice that that they're doing it but what they're doing is they're playing this role mm -hmm. for each other in that process um but i would say the biggest role that someone can play in a group is a surrogate family mm -hmm. there are so many uh individuals who came in who don't know how to experience 
love because, and, and it's not that they haven't been loved. It's, it's just because the shame of the addiction process or the fear that they're being judged or whatever it might be. And so these individuals kind of come around them and it could be one, it could be the whole group and just say, I'm here with you. I care about you. I'm here to support you. And what ends up happening is they begin to internalize that care. And what that does for them is it begins to allow them, like I said, to become vulnerable to the therapeutic process, become vulnerable to spiritual healing, but also it allows them to feel at home, to feel good about what they're doing, to feel safe and to receive that encouragement from them. Uh, and so they could play many other roles. Um, the other component to roles in groups is that um, in the group process, people might um, might take the role of being the jokey person and kind of try to keep things light. Someone might take the role of like a teacher and they'll try to like share things about each topic mm -hmm. that is covered in a group. And you might have someone else who kind of takes the silent role. And uh, the group counselor is trying to draw people away from these roles to mm -hmm. keep them focused on the topic and to not allow them to use some of the protective measures they've kind of built up in their addiction to be safe from experiencing emotions. Wow. And so what happens then is that we get to see people's walls come down, mm -hmm. is that the jokey person all of a sudden says something serious mm -hmm. and something very personal. And the teacher then stays quiet mm -hmm. and lets that happen. Mm -hmm. And what you begin to see is walls come down. Mm -hmm. These people who kind of naturally trend towards a way of protecting themselves against the therapeutic uh, things that are happening in the group, when that stuff breaks down and people really get comfortable and stop protecting themselves and start speaking honestly and truthfully and insightfully about what they've been through, about why they're here, about what they're afraid of, about some of those things, you see this very powerful thing happen when they let go of this role they put on for other people and just be themselves mm -hmm. and begin to open up. And that's when the most important role of the group is played, where you're just a person there supporting another person and where you're connecting with them on the healing journey and there's nothing else happening. And I think that's probably the most powerful role anybody can play in that process. That's so interesting. I never made the connection that those roles can be like a defense mechanism for us. And even for a family member on like the outside of the treatment sphere, dropping that role of whatever you might be playing, you know, I'm, I'm going to be your mom or I'm going to be your spouse in this, but just being a person, encouraging another person might help contribute to that process. Yeah. yeah. It's very it, interesting. It does. It absolutely does. So what are the treatment goals for short term? And how do you know when someone has gotten to the point that they're ready to move to the next step? So the treatment goals for short term is that they are kind of thinking clearly and they're able to be very aware and very present with their behavior patterns. Mm -hmm. um, when you're in addiction, you live from one impulse for, to another, mm -hmm. you know, and you live from kind of one moment to the next as it relates to your substance abuse. So the first thing would be to be able to be present and aware of uh, what your behaviors are, what you're doing and stuff like that. Um, and, and again, from detox, we talked about mental and physical stability. So those are two huge factors. 
but we want them to be present and aware of their behaviors. We want them really just to have the groundwork started for being able to challenge problem thinking, for being able to work through basic triggers, uh, basic coping skills, to have coping skills readily available for them for stress or for sadness or depression and stuff like that. Um, because when you go through short term, you don't have all the tools 100% developed, ready to go. Um, but if you have the tools and you have, uh, and you know, short term might be 30 to 60, maybe at the high end of short term 90 days. Um, so you have a couple weeks of implementing those tools. And that's when we see them ready to go on the next step because then they can refine those tools. They can refine those different skills and different things like that and implement them more and more in more real life settings or in a less intensive level of care settings. We also want them to have their daily routine that they're back to caring for themselves in a healthy way. You know, so physically they're caring for themselves, emotionally they're caring for themselves, spiritually they're caring for themselves. And I would say the other one is that they have clear goals. Um, from the moment they come in, they're doing a very basic set of goals, and then within three days they have a more clear set of goals, and then they refine those goals as they achieve them and build on them. Can you give me some examples of what those goals might be? So one goal that, that like one of the main ones that I, I've seen is just coping. How do I cope? How do I cope when I get angry? Because everything was an excuse to use. I would get angry. I would use drugs. I would get sad. I would use drugs. I'd get in an argument with a family member. I'd use drugs. I'd party. I'd, I'd use drugs. <laughs> yeah. I'd get in trouble with the law. And so how do I cope with that? So now I have to get used to being angry, right? And, and you wouldn't think like, oh, what's it like to get used to being angry? Well, getting used to being angry is that whenever you got angry, you did something bad or not bad, but like you did something unconstructive. And so now you have to learn to deal with that anger in a constructive way, which means you have to sit within an uncomfortable emotion as you work through something constructive, right? So an individual who is developing a goal of dealing with anger is now part of that goal is learning to be okay with just being angry and not reacting to it, except for in healthy ways. So then their goal would be to manage anger. And then the way that the counselor would work with them is we'd create like an objective for them, which would be to, when you get angry, you're going to just breathe deeply. And that's it. And so now their goal is to practice deep breathing when they're angry. And then after they come out of that anger, they're going to journal about it and write about what it was like to not turn to something during that and to deal with their anger and let it resolve as they did these healthy things. Um, so that's one goal. Another goal might be to rebuild a relationship with their family. They, it's like there's kind of like this, I don't know what to do. I've done so many things to my family. I've, I've created all these problems. And, and I want this to work. They want this to work, but there's no guarantees in this process. So how do I, how do I communicate that and do this and 
And so they, they want to build the ability to connect with their family and, and to allow their family to support them and also to not be defensive and to work through that stuff. So that might be another one. Another one is they might have self-defeating thoughts, like I'm never gonna make it, I'm never gonna do this, I'm always gonna be a failure, nobody's gonna wanna hire me, and, and to kind of be able to work through those self-defeating patterns of thinking. So those are a couple goals that somebody might have. So at Pennsylvania Adult and Teen Challenge, we have our long-term faith-based program, and there is kind of a, convergence point between our short-term and long-term program because a lot of people at the end of their short-term stay are ready to go home to their communities and start an outpatient course of treatment. So what are some scenarios where you would recommend our long-term faith-based program versus going home and starting outpatient therapy at that juncture? Some factors to that would be um, one is is it the right fit for them culturally? Is is our long-term program the right choice for them for the goals that they have and the things that they want to do um, would be one. And then the other one would be, have they done this before? You know, have they done the short-term and detox program a couple times and been unsuccessful? I would highly encourage someone to kind of transfer into our long-term program if they've repeated the the short term and the detox a few times and and not been successful it may be uh, uh beneficial to them to increase the amount of therapeutic they engagement they get through this process um other ones would be that uh they're not sure you know and and going into our our long-term program might be a way for them to just kind of rest in the process of mm -hmm. Uh, being in a supportive, therapeutic, and spiritual environment where, you know, their needs are met. Mm -hmm. They they have food. They have contact with their family. They have counselors and spiritual support and a community around them, and they can just kind of rest in that therapeutic process as they decide what their next step might be. Another one is if if they're struggling in the process of really getting. Uh, some of their skills solidified, it might help them to prolong their journey in the recovery process to build more skills and stuff like that. The last one I think is a big one, is does it align with their long-term goals? Mm -hmm. You know, some people come in here and they want they might wanna to go to Bible college or they might wanna go on to some type of um, faith-based vocation or be a missionary or be involved in church or, you know, other things. And an individual with those goals, it might line up perfectly with them goals to go into a program that has discipleship components built into it that can help them kind of accelerate that process. I can personally say when I went through the program, I was not prepared for college if I would have just done a short portion of the program. The long-term program, because of the daily routines and, and teaching me life skills and having classes and programs that I was involved in and ministry components that I was involved in, really prepared me for the next level, which was college. And it had me ready to go. So when I did begin college, um, it was a lot easier for me to make that adjustment. And I knew far more about God and about the Bible than I had prior to starting, which also prepared me because I went to a Christian college. And without that, I would have been going with very little knowledge of the word and very little knowledge of that, that kind of Christian environment. 
There was something you touched on earlier that I thought was so good, and I want to dive into it a little bit deeper. Um, you know, I've heard different perspectives about the clinical side of treatment and the spiritual side of treatment and how sometimes those things don't seem to mix, and sometimes they do seem to mix really well. And you were talking about that idea of changing our thinking and changing, renewing our mind and how those things work so well with the therapeutic tools that we're using here at PATC. So can you talk a little bit more about why faith is so important in the journey and how it dovetails so nicely with with treatment? Absolutely. So many people may feel like these things don't marry together, the, the spiritual discipleship part of the process and the therapeutic and other. But as you read scriptures, there is many scriptures about the mind Mm -hmm. and about the emotions. They talk about the stomach and different feelings you might have deep in, in, in your gut. And what we do is we integrate the two together because they, they do complement each other. Um, so when someone is changing their thinking, Romans um, talks about be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, essentially what you're doing in therapy is you're helping them change the way that they think. And when you're incorporating biblical truths into that, what you're doing is you're giving them scripts or outline for their mind to use to rethink a situation. So if they're thinking about uh, stealing, let's just say for something simple, they have the maybe the Ten Commandments, they have put others before yourself, they have um, get rid of the old self and put on the new self. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say one of the biggest ones and one of the most powerful ones is that both in therapy and in um, the spiritual and in relationship with God, is you're helping them develop into a new person. You're helping to rebuild them, um, really, and you're helping them do that from the inside out. And the Bible talks about finding your identity in Christ Mm -hmm. and pursuing that identity. And so when you're working with an individual through therapy and through stuff like that, what you're allowing them to do and and bringing them through the process of is becoming a a new person. And there's a guy called William White, and he wrote a book called From um, Pathways, From the Culture of Addiction to the Culture of Recovery. And it's a powerful book because it talks about, and, and this is from a secular viewpoint, it talks about going from a lifestyle and addiction where you use the language of being addiction. You have an identity in your addiction. You have relationships in your addiction. And the list goes on of all the components that make up the culture of addiction. And he's educating people to incorporate now a culture of recovery, where you learn the language of recovery, where you learn the language uh, or where you build the relationships in recovery, where you begin to think with a lens of recovery. And all of that really changes the whole person by changing their culture and all the components that make up a culture. Well, when you incorporate faith, you're doing the same thing. You're saying, let's leave the culture of addiction and the culture of this pattern and incorporate the culture of Christ, the culture of biblical truths. And as you incorporate them, you learn the language of biblical truth. Uh, You 
build a community of people around you. So your social setting then changes. The way that you react to different things in the world then changes as well. And so you're helping that person really do that. And therapeutic is the moment-to-moment way of changing that with each individual thought and each new skill. You're incorporating those things to do that. But then on the mass scale, what's happening to the whole person is that all those little things are building up over time till eventually that's a part of who they are. Before we close the show, we like to talk about the habits that we're making this week that are helping us find wholeness in our lives. Greg, what is your wholeness habit of the week? So recently, my wholeness habit has been to do intermittent fasting mm-hmm. and uh, periodic fasting. Mm-hmm. And that's helped me stay focused on some of the things I have to just resist the desire for food and stuff like that has just helped grow in self-discipline mm-hmm. and also had spiritual components that's helped me grow in my faith. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Like, what's the balance between like the spiritual aspect of it and like the health benefits for you? So the health benefits are just the late night eating that I think a lot of people struggle with in (laughs) general is the snacks and stuff like that. So it helps to resist the urge for that. But then in general, just to stay focused on things, I feel like I've grown in my focus and my attention to different things. I've grown in other areas of maybe you know, watching TV and stuff like that, it's been easier to resist other maybe unhealthy habits or just habits that kind of burn up extra time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like I'm growing in that way. And then spiritually, it's allowed me to become more reliant on the Lord, more reliant on Christ for uh, sustainment and, and just strength and for focus and for accomplishing what he's called me to do. Yeah, it's good. My habit of the week is I just started a mom's Bible study. So we're doing a study by Heidi St. John called Becoming Mom Strong. Mm -hmm. And um, so I've been taking some time every morning and answering some of those questions and reading through the scripture passages. And I think the thing I'm most looking forward to is our group has moms from a lot of different stages. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not just moms with elementary school kids. It's not just moms with teenagers. We're kind of like all on the spectrum. And having the opportunity to glean wisdom from them, I'm, I'm really looking forward to. Well, that's it for this week. Greg, thank you again so much for joining us. Absolutely. And to those of you who are listening, don't forget to leave us a comment or email us with a question at abovebeyond at paatc.org. We're looking forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining us. The Above and Beyond Recovery Podcast is a production of Pennsylvania Adult and Teen Challenge. If you or a loved one needs help with addiction, call us now at 844-888-8085 or find us online at paatc.org. That information is also in our show notes. Join us next time as we continue the conversation.